God creates a zombie army, Ezekiel plays with some sticks, and God lets the gog out. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Welcome. Uh, enjoy this episode. We're on our last one of Ezekiel, and don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment. Man, we're getting close to the end of the Old Testament. Um, it's, it's sad. It's actually, sad. Actually, it's very exciting to accomplish exciting. Yeah, task. To, yeah, to get through all of it. That's, yeah. I mean... And hopefully this has been beneficial for all of you. Um, let us know if it has been. Yeah, give us a comment. What's what's been a good insight? I guess we should save it till the very last episode. But yeah, well, if it's not beneficial, don't tell us that. I mean, yeah, I guess we don't want to know. Yeah, yeah, I think we know if you're just not watching it. So yeah, exactly. That's, so that clear, clears that up for us. Ezekiel. So, Ezekiel is going to end with some good stuff. Very some very good stuff. Very good stuff. Very good. Last. I'm, I'm sorry. Ezekiel chapter 16. It's a pretty rough chapter in the Bible. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it yeah. ends a little, it ends well too, you know, but it's still a pretty rough chapter. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That's my favorite chapter to read while we're testing our mics for Sunday morning. Yeah, no, in front of the whole neighborhood. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah, I call them all prostitutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, um, we've seen Ezekiel. We, we've seen that this big theme of the presence of God in Ezekiel started with that appearing of God in glory, his mm-hmm. chariot, these wheels that can go in any direction, right? Mm-hmm. God's presence is still. Uh, active in Israel's life, man. I'm just looking at how many tabs you have open. Is that you have like 20 tabs? Um, you have bunch, oh, you've got icons. I thought you were one of those people. Those are the worst people. No, no. This is I cleaned it up before this okay. morning, and so I am one of those people. Okay. And um, yeah, you know, it's you just want to command T, start a new tab, and search something. You know, and you just yeah. it piles up until so your computer won't run anymore, and then you clear them all out and start over. Yeah, like sin. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Until, totally off until, topic. Until but. everything. Until we're you know finally glorified. That's the way it has yeah. to be. Yeah. I do a lot of tabs too. But anyway, back to the important <laughs> stuff that all you people care about. Um, so Ezekiel is about God's presence, right? If the city is, if Jerusalem is destroyed, is God still present with His people? And the answer, in a sense, is no. Right? God has abandoned them. They've uh, pushed him away through idolatry. Mm-hmm. He's walking away from them. But God is only taking him into exile in order to renew and restore them. Mm-hmm. Which gets us to our point in the book today, right? Where we're going to look at them being restored. But Ezekiel's done all these different sign acts to show them God's judgment, the seriousness of it. It culminates with him losing his own wife. Yes, yeah, his sad. wife dies. God takes away his wife in order to show them uh, the the judgment they're going to face. Right. So, really horrible stuff. But it's going to end on a good note at the end of the book here. So, there's some just really good stuff. So we've seen the structure. The first three chapters of Ezekiel are about Ezekiel's call, and then that's followed up by um, 20 chapters of God's judgment on Israel. Mm-hmm. And then we see a section on God's judgment on the nations, yep. and that ends at chapter 33. So we're at chapter 34 today, and 34 to 48, the rest of the book, is about God's restoral and renewal of God's people, his mm-hmm. restoration and renewal. So um, let's let's get into the text. Yeah. Let's jump right in. We're so chapter this 34? Last, yeah, we're in chapter 34. Where, where am I here? Okay, chapter 34. So if God is going to renew, um, renewal depends on leaders, right? They have to have the right kind of leaders. Right. Again and again, we've seen that God's people, their leaders, are leading them astray. Mm-hmm. Whether it's prophets that are prophesying lies, priests that are sinful, kings that are disobedient to God's word, and even, as we saw in chapter 8, the elders of Israel worshiping idols in secret. Right. So without good leaders, God's people are hopeless. 
And so this chapter is all about the shepherds of Israel. Now, shepherd is a synonym, really, for a leader mm-hmm. in the Bible. Shepherd, even going back to the earliest patriarchs, they were shepherds. Abraham, Jacob, they were shepherds. David, when he was called to be a king, was found as a shepherd in the, in the field. Yep. And in fact, his shepherding, his defense of his flock was sort of a basis uh, for his kingship, right? He fought against the lion and the bears, and that sort of prepares him for his defeat of Goliath Mm -hmm. in defense of God's people. So we've seen this shepherding motif again and again, and we've even seen that God is depicted as the good shepherd in Psalm 23, Mm. right? The Lord is that shepherd, so we look to him. And now here we see God coming to the leaders, the shepherds of Israel, and calling them out. Mm Mm-hmm. A shepherd is supposed to take care of his flock, and they've done the opposite. Right. So look at verses 3 and 4. You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. Mm. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Mm. He's saying you're looking at the sheep in terms of what they can give to you. You'll eat them, you'll devour them, you'll take from them, but you won't help them, you won't feed them. Hmm. So that's the the absolute reversal of what a shepherd should be. Right. So verse 6 says, So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. So God's people are leaderless. They're scattered. We've heard this phrase before mm-hmm. when um, there's a prophecy about one of the kings of Israel dying. Uh, I forget which one. Uh, I should have looked this up beforehand, obviously. But and it says, you know, the prophet says, behold, I saw the sheep of Israel, of Israel like sheep without a shepherd. Mm-hmm. Right? The king's going to die. So these people are, they don't have anyone to, to guide them. They're scattered and they're, therefore they're vulnerable. Verse 10 Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherd, shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Hmm. So the, sh- the shepherds have become the wolves. Right. They're eating the sheep, and God's going to rescue them. And God cares for his people. So he starts to speak of how he will actually seek them out, how he will come after them. Verse 12, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them. Verse 13, I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them and will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel. Verse 14, I will feed them with good pasture. Mm -hmm. And then in verse 15, he says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, Mm. declares the Lord. So he's going to care for his people. He's going to guide his people and restore them. But he says in verse 15, he himself will be the shepherd. Right. So because every human leader has failed, God himself will be their shepherd. He'll be their leader. That's a really interesting statement. Right. That he's going to, in some sense, fulfill that job for himself. That should really stand out to us as we're reading this, this passage. And then he goes on, verse 23, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. Mm -hmm. He shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. So we've seen this language of David again. He's not talking about David 
being resurrected. Right. Exactly. Speaking yeah. of someone from the Davidic line mm-hmm. coming yeah, and standing. Some new kingly David type. Yes. You know? Like the true David, right. the final David. So God's going to be the shepherd and also David will be the shepherd. Hmm. That's really interesting. So which is it going to be? Is it going to be God shepherding them or David shepherding them? And of course, uh, that's uh, pointing us toward, <laughs> yeah, hmm, I wonder. Yes, you're like, I've, I get it. Jesus is in the Bible a lot of places. Um, <laughs> yes. Verse 25, I'll make a covenant of peace with them. Hmm. And I love how he talks about how he'll give showers of blessing, right? He'll bring rain to, to fill their land with fruitfulness, right? He'll rain his blessing down on them. And then he says in, in verse 27, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke. And deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna free them, right? They're going to be free, they're gonna be restored. That is God's plan, even for as we've seen, his people who've abandoned him in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So God's gonna judge the leaders and bring to them true leadership, right? Which can only the, the best and truest leadership can only come through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, which again, I'll get ahead of myself, but that's important to acknowledge. So that's chapter 34, a very, a very interesting, a very good chapter for anyone who's in spiritual leadership. Mm-hmm. Good one to meditate on, to think through what is true leadership versus false leadership. Right. And even I think we've gotten really good because we know how the culture views leadership. We try to act like we're not that way, but sometimes as church leaders, we can be that way. We can think in those terms and we can view the the flock in terms of what they can give to us. So right. it's something you have to always be on guard against. A sinful person will be drawn into that. So chapter 36, chapter 36, we see an interesting prophecy given. This is sort of parallel to Jeremiah 31, the mm-hmm. new covenant prophecy. So Jeremiah, or sorry, Ezekiel 36, <laughs> starting in verse 25, or sorry, where am I here? Yeah, verse 25, he says, Speaking of how he'll gather them from the nations, he says, I I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart Mm -hmm. and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So God's going to, to give his people life. He's going to renew them. He's going to gather them in. This is language of the new covenant. Right. But then he goes on to say, verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and Mm. cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So we saw this language of my, put my law within them in in Jeremiah. And so we're seeing here how it's going to happen by God's spirit being in God's people. Mm. So remember the entire, remember big picture of, of Ezekiel, God's presence. Is God present with his people? Is he, has he abandoned his people? Right. Does he care anymore? And we saw that God is present in his glory and the spirit of God is placed into Ezekiel in chapter two Mm. so that Ezekiel becomes in a sense, the temple of God, right? A picture of the temple of God. And now he's saying that God will be so present with his people someday that he won't just have a temple. He won't just have a place where you can go meet with God. He'll actually reside in the hearts of the people. Mm. In other words, the people of God will be the temple of God. Right. I mean, that's that's incredible. Again, another incredible prophecy in the book of Ezekiel that has huge impact for the rest of, of Scripture. And not only will they be re- rescued and redeemed, but the land will be as well. Verse 35, And they will say, This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. Mm. 
ding, ding, ding. Yep. Definitely flies in off there. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. Hmm. So God is God is saying there's going to be a restoration of the land in the sense that it will be like the Garden of Eden. Right. Okay, so that's that's big. So the place that was the original dwelling of God's presence with his people, because God's now living with his people and even in his people and with the Holy Spirit, he's going to restore and transform the earth itself and mm. make it fruitful. Because wherever God's presence is, right, when God's presence is removed, punishment and destruction and chaos come. When God is present in his glory and in his, his love for his people, fruitfulness abounds and peace oh. and safety. Yeah, it's amazing. Like the source of blessing and human contentness and flourishing all is centered around God. It's not centered around all these external things that humans seek after. Yeah. And so it's pretty, I mean, it's it's a very simple concept that I feel like is just being repeated again and again yeah. and again through the Bible. Be close with God and humans will flourish. Yeah. Humans apart from God die. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it was in Jeremiah, was it chapter seven, right? Um, that you know that you have to be rooted and grounded mm. in God. Yeah. Right. This tree. Right. If you're in the if you're away from God, you're this dry brush, mm-hmm. dry bush. Um, Psalm one. Right. This yeah. man planted by streams of water. Yeah. Again and again, it's the same picture of you can never be fruitful unless you have you're watered by God, mm. given life by God, yeah. sustained by God. So, I love it. So chapter thirty seven, then goes on to speak a little bit to how it's going to happen. So. The, the problem really is Ezekiel's looking at a situation where things are so desperate for Israel, they're so destroyed. Is there any hope that God really can do what he's saying? Mm-hmm. How can God... Israel is destroyed as a nation. They're essentially dead yeah, and spiritually dead. Yeah, and so how can God... can't find any righteous people. Yeah, yeah how can God restore that? What's God going to do? How powerful is God? So chapter 37 is a great passage, the valley of the dry bones. So he essentially is brought in a vision to a valley full of bones. Um, and God's, God asks him a question in verse 3. He says, Son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? Uh, that would be a no, right? <laughs> I mean, they're dead, dry bones. So, of course not. But Ezekiel's too wise, so he says, Oh, Lord God, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Let me answer what your question. The question, yeah, <laughs> like, what do you think? So he turns that back on God, and God says to him, "Prophesy over the bones, right? Tell them to live, essentially, and I'm going to renew them and give them life." So the bones stand up at the word of the prophet. They, the sinews go on the on the bones, and yep. the skin goes on, and these these dry bones become a living army, mm-hmm. God's army, the zombie army. Zombie but they're not zombie, you know, they're they're a living people. They're yeah. fully living is the idea. And so he's he this is a picture again of of what God wants to do in Israel. So verse 11 he says, "Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel." Mm. Behold, they say our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy. And God doesn't deny that. He's yeah, you're you're dead, you're you're kind of worthless, right. you're kind of, but he says prophesy this, verse 12. Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, all my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and raise you out from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, 
and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Mm. It's a repeated refrain, by the way. Um, so, so, yeah. Oh, like how much of this chapter do you think is speaking um, to like the simple salvation, the resurrection, like the regeneration of people and the coming of the Messiah, or to eschatologically? Like, and yeah, I think it's spe- so it's definitely like the primary references to a redemption of a broken people. So, bringing back God's people yeah. from their exile is kind right. of the idea. But it clearly has implications for salvation, right? I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of parallels are made between that and salvation. Mm-hmm. So this r- idea of resurrecting dead people mm-hmm. clearly applies. I mean, there's a time when Jesus speaks to a grave, right? And says, mm-hmm. Lazarus, come forth. Right. So dead people respond both physically and spiritually to the voice of Christ. There's clearly a bigger you know, implication to that. So I would say that it's, in terms of those two options you gave, I'd say it's referring more to spiritual salvation, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's a clearer reference to it. I don't think this is necessarily a prophecy of the final resurrection. Right. But again, it, it yeah, you have to see some relation. Of, of yeah, it. just because, you know, there's flares of Eden and restoration of the people. And like, yeah, obviously the context is particularly right now for Israel. But yeah, yeah I don't know. Yeah, it's a, but it's fascinating. So, so in, yeah, in terms of the context, though, it's talking about God's going to bring back His people, restore His people. Right. He can take He can take nothing and make something from it. Right. Yeah. He can take yeah, you know, He can uh, raise up a nation from from nothing. Mm-hmm. So that's what He's going to do. And so then in chapter thirty-seven, verse fifteen and following, Ezekiel gets two sticks. Yeah. So now it's time for it to play with some sticks. So he gets two <laughs> sticks and he writes on one. You know, I think he writes Je- Judah, and one he writes Joseph or Ephraim, or that's the northern you know nation of Israel. So he writes down the names of the two nations, mm-hmm. north and south, and God says, "Now I want you to tie them together." So again, this is a weird one that mm-hmm. he does, but he ties them together. And the picture here is that God is going to someday unify His nation. So verse mm-hmm. twenty-two, I will make them one nation. So when He redeems them, brings them in, there'll be one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them all. And they shall be no longer two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms. They will not defile themselves anymore with their idols. And he says, I will save them from all their backslidings in which they have sinned and will Mm -hmm. cleanse them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. And he goes on talking about how David will rule over them. They'll have one shepherd, David. So it's speaking to this restoration of the nation into a perfected people. Mm. And he, he ends this by saying, verse 27, my dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Right. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel, when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. So he's speaking now about he's going to dwell with them, he's going to be present with them, mm-hmm. right? bringing this, these themes kind of to a head, that God is going to restore them, bring them together in order to be that kind of people. So th- th- this is heading towards the end of the book, but there's sort of an interesting break in that with chapter 38 and 39. So there's a reference to this this person named Gog, who's a chief prince of these nations, probably to the north of Israel. The name Gog comes from Genesis chapter 10, mm-hmm. the table of nations there. Yeah. And so Gog, it's, you know, a lot of people have opinions as to who or what Gog is or where Gog is. But the big idea here, for our purposes, looking at just big picture, God, it, when God is with his people, when he's restored his people, he's going to protect them from outside threats. And so mm-hmm. that's what's happening here is Gog is a threat wanting to destroy Israel. 
And when God plants them, he's going to sustain them. He's going to defend them. When God is present, he not only gives blessing and safety, he also destroys external threats. Right. Right. He fulfills everything that they need. That's who he is. That's who he's, who he's always been. Mm. And so them, going back to chapter 16, running away from him and, and trusting other nations was complete foolishness. Right. Because God could always protect them. So God's going to do that. He's going to destroy Gog. And then verse 21 says, I will set, sorry, this is chapter 39, verse 21 kind of the end of the section. And I will set my glory among the nations and all the nations shall see my judgment that I have executed in, the, in my hand that I have laid on them. And he, said, he says that the, the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity and it's showing that they've been restored. Oh. So the God's going to restore them, bring them back. And then we have chapters 40 to 46. So this is a big last chunk and it feels it feels way out of place. Yeah. Essentially what happens is he has a vision. This man brings him to see this new temple. Mm-hmm. And he has a measuring stick, a reed in his hand, and he has Ezekiel go around and measure everything. Yep. <laughs> everything. And so the the picture here again, remember back to chapters 8 to 11 mm-hmm. or 8 to 10. All these things that were happening in, in the temple and how God's glory has to depart from the temple because of it. Right. So as he's taking his first tour of the temple in chapter 8, walking through it, he's seeing sin, sin, mm-hmm. horrible things, that, and God's presence being driven out. Right. And now he's, he's, look, he's beholding this temple, he's measuring it to see the perfection. Right. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, all the measurements are doubled mm-hmm. from the original temple. So it's a greater glorified temple. And God, this is where God's presence can actually dwell. Mm-hmm. So he's going to see sacrifices being instituted to show this value of purity mm-hmm. and o- obedience to God's law, right? He's, he's walking through all of this and seeing all this beauty. So that's, that's sort of the big picture. God is preparing a place where his presence can return. He's uh, consecrating for himself priests mm-hmm. to do the work in the temple. So whether this is a literal temple or a figurative temple, mm we could talk about and get into, but I think the big idea here, because some people think this is a messianic temple, right? Mm. So at the end of end of the age, when the messianic age comes in, then there's a temple set up and the sacrifices in it are not, are not the same as, you know, they're not burnt offerings or, um, or sin offerings, right? But they're peace offerings, they're free will offerings. So, you know, barbecue, like we talked about um, <laughs> back then. So that is, that is very much possible. It's also possible that it's, you know, symbolic. I believe it's symbolic that it's speaking to, um, you know, just the presence of God. It's be weird. It's weird to have a symbol with so much detail. Right. I will say that. So I, I see. I see reasons to think of it in both ways. Mm. But we're not going to dig into that. Um, the important thing, though, I'd say is in chapter forty-three. Mm, yeah. Chapter forty-three, verse. Where am I here? It's a lot of lot of text yes. here. <laughs> This is what he speaks of. He speaks of you know seeing the entrance of the of the temple, and then he sees a vision of the same glory that he saw when he was at the Kibar Canal at the beginning of the book. He says, verse four, as the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So God's Glory is coming from the east, coming to into the presence or into the temple and filling it again. Mm. So this new, this future temple is a place where God's glory dwells. Right, and and it's uh, yeah. So he's he's blown away by this. Right, this is an amazing thing. So that's so God. This new temple is going to be sufficient to house the presence of God 
permanently. There's mm. no threat to it in, in a sense. So chapter 47, we actually see it starts off by talking about water coming from the, the door of the temple. Mm-hmm. So water is sort of trickling down, just a little trickle down the stairs of the temple. And then he walks for a while and, it's, and he sees that it's ankle deep. Mm-hmm. And he walks further and he finds it's, <clears throat> excuse me, he finds it's knee deep and then it's waist deep and then he can't get through it, right? Yeah. So in other words, the, the water that's coming from this temple is becoming a river mm-hmm. that brings, brings fruitfulness to the whole world. Right. So in verse 8, he says, that, so the one who's guiding him, his, his tour guide, says this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. So that sea in the Arabah, it's the southern region of, of Israel, that's the Dead Sea. Hmm. So the Dead Sea, if you don't know, there's nothing alive in it. Mm-hmm. It's all salt. There's salt marshes all around it. Nothing can live in the Dead Sea because mm-hmm. it's not hospitable. And so this dead region that's just known for being a salt marsh is going to become fresh water. Mm. It's, and it enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. Mm. So if you, I don't know if you knew, but if you mix salt water with fresh water, it does not become fresh water. It just becomes <laughs> diluted salt water, yeah. right? I mean, it's not how it works. Right. But this water is a healing water. Mm. It brings life to places that are dead. Verse 9, wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish, for this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. So people are going to, there's going to be life. He goes on to speak about the kind of, of fruit that comes from it, right? At the end of chapter 12 or verse 12 here, their leaves will not wither nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their, their fruit will be for food mm-hmm. and their leaves for healing. Yeah. So this is going to be a place of prosperity and beauty. If, if you ever go to the Dead Sea Valley, which is the lowest point on earth mm-hmm. on, on, you know, land, um, it is, it is a rough place. And to think of that place being a tropical paradise right. is unreal. Mm. And that's what God is saying. And by extension, he's saying every place of death and destruction is going to be full of life mm. because of the water that flows from the temple. So there's, remember, there's a few things to remember here, okay? So as we've seen this picture of Eden, this is another picture of Eden. Mm-hmm. So Eden was a place that was set on a hill because rivers came from it. Right. So every all the, the major rivers of the world at that point in history came from this mountain of Eden. Mm. And now we see that the watershed point is the, the temple itself. Mm-hmm. It is the new Eden. It's a new, it's a new locus, the focal point of the entire earth. It's where God's presence dwells. It's where his life is going out. So this, these images are being fulfilled, and this is a picture of, of the end, mm-hmm. of the end of time. So, so anyway, and then the final ending... There's a lot of measurements of you know boundaries and things like that, but at the very end, the, how the book ends is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the city and the gates and all these things, and it says, verse 35, and the name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there. Mm. That's the, the name of the city. The God is there. He is present. Right. So the question at the beginning, is God present with his people even in the midst of exile? Is, is shown to be true, and that there's going to be a place where God will dwell with his people forever. Mm, it's beautiful. And that <clears throat> defines everything, right? If God's present, that defines everything. Yeah, that's awesome. And so, um, and we, again, we've talked about a bunch of the ways already, and um, I think you can already see some, even with this, this 
Eden imagery, but yeah. uh, how does the New Testament connect with this? Well, we we see this imagery from Ezekiel 34 of, of Jesus as the good shepherd. Mm-hmm. So obviously John 10, 11, right? Jesus says, I am the right. good shepherd. Yeah. The good shepherd lays down the life for his sheep. And even in that passage, he's attacking those who are hirelings, right. who won't protect the sheep, or yeah. those who are wolves who destroy the sheep. So he says, I protect, I guard, I even give my life mm-hmm. yeah. for the sheep. Yeah. So how do you have this, you know, David is the shepherd, but God is the shepherd. Well, you have Jesus Christ who is both. Yeah. He's the Davidic king. One, yeah. He's the wow. he's the um he's divine as well. So and even this mention of people being scattered like sheep without a shepherd that mm-hmm. we heard repeated again and again in this chapter. Jesus it refers to or in, in Matthew and, and in Mark, I believe too, Jesus sees the people in Matthew nine thirty six and he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. Mm. So that is brought into re- reference in the Gospels for how Jesus views his own mission yeah. is to provide for the people that have nothing. Mm. So it's very intentionally used there. Also, the Ezekiel 36.25, this mention of water and the Spirit is referenced in John chapter 3. Mm-hmm. And most people think this is, there's a lot of debate as to what this means or refers to, but I think the consensus is this is referring back to Ezekiel 36. Mm. When Jesus says to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Mm. So this refers back to Ezekiel's own word of what God is going to do in cleansing people with water and in giving the Holy Spirit. Right. So that's that's a reference. And of course, you have to be thinking, uh, if you're not, then maybe you need to read Revelation again. But you have to be thinking about the end of the Bible. Right. And the culmination of the new heavens and new earth, the new Eden coming down, right? Mm-hmm. And God, I mean, so many of these words that were just used in the end of Ezekiel are used in Revelation. There's right. tons of crossover. Just the fact that God says, behold, the dwelling place of God is right. with man. Yeah. He will dwell with them, right? So he's focusing on the presence of God. Mm-hmm. The sanctuary of God also comes into to reference in Revelation 21, yeah, the temple, verse huh? 22, right? I saw no temple in the city, mm-hmm. for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Right. So the temple has been fulfilled because God is there. God is present. Right? This is a city where the Lord is there forever, can't be removed. Right, a river giving life, yeah. And then Revelation 22, right? That he, I mean, I'll just read this again, but the, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So that's the, the watershed, right, from the throne of God, through the middle of the street, also uh, of the city, also on either side of the, the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. That's the same language as Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. Mm. That's also exactly from Ezekiel, right. right? And so this is this is a picture of that final Edenic paradise where God is with His people mm. perfectly. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we we look forward to that. We should hope in that. We should think about that. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, what an encouraging way to end this book, too. The Lord is there, so amen. And if you're a Christian, the Lord is in you. So take hope and take courage even when uh, everything's crazy in this world. So, Thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. We'll see you next week.